Diabetes ravages our patients and costs our medical system millions of dollars. Is there a way to prevent the development of diabetes, especially in high-risk individuals? You are listening to ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman, your host. And with me today is Dr. Shelley Salpeter, Director of the Medical Consultation Services. And with me today is Dr. Shelley Salpeter, Director of Medical Consultation Services at Santa Clara Valley Medical Center in San Jose, California, and Clinical Professor of Medicine at the Stanford University School of Medicine in Stanford, California. Thank you for being with us, Dr. Salpeter. Thank you. Now, you've done a uh, very interesting meta-analysis of the use of metformin for the prevention of type 2 diabetes. Why is this an important issue for us? Uh, Well, as you already mentioned, the prevalence of diabetes has been rapidly rising in the United States, and this has been fueled by an epidemic rise in obesity and other metabolic risk factors. So the scope of the problem is really quite huge and is growing. And certainly as a primary care doctor, I'm sure all primary care providers across the country see this in their everyday practice. Metformin, why would we think metformin would be a good choice in prevention of diabetes? Okay, so metformin is a biguanide agent that has been used in the treatment of diabetes for over 50 years now, so we know uh, a lot about it. It works mainly through decreasing weight and reducing insulin resistance in patients with diabetes. And it does very similar things for persons without diabetes. And these beneficial effects could then help uh, prevent the development of diabetes in the future. And I think of metformin as having some effects on gluconeogenesis in, in the liver as well? That's correct. So we don't really know the main mechanism of all of its beneficial effects because it does reduce weight. And weight reduction itself can produce a lot of the beneficial effects that we see, such as reducing glucose, insulin resistance, etc. So it's hard to tell really which part of the mechanism is working towards the reduction of the development of diabetes. And certainly, as you said, it's been around for a long time. It's a mainstay of what we use for diabetics. In terms of safety, tell us a little bit about the the diarrhea and and renal function with uh, metformin. Uh, Yes. So as I said, we've studied it for over 50 years now, so it has been extremely well studied and actually is quite safe. The main side effect of metformin is the gastrointestinal side effect, uh, such as diarrhea, uh, bloating, and that's really its main uh, dose-dependent side effect. The one thing that we hear about all the time that we've been uh, sort of taught to worry about is lactic acidosis. Mm -hmm. In fact... When you look at it, I did a meta-analysis of approximately 100,000 patient years of diabetic trials over the past 50 years, and there was not a single case of lactic acidosis in the pooled analysis of approximately 100,000 patient years of diabetics, 50,000 patient years of metformin use. Mm, So certainly very, very safe. Is there a particular either creatinine level or GFR at which we should maybe hesitate to use it? Well, it's a good question. Um, I use it in patients with renal insufficiency because I've been studying it for such a long time. If you look at all of the trials that have looked at uh, metformin use over the past 50 years, they included a lot of patients with the standard contraindications to metformin use, which would include, as you mentioned, renal insufficiency, also So there are worries in terms of liver problems, elderly, congestive heart failure, pulmonary disease. All of these 
uh, standard uh, risk that people have been told to worry about. In fact, if you look at the trials, 96% of all of the participants in these trials had at least one of the standard contraindications to its use, and there still was not a single case of lactic acidosis. When you go back and you look at the history, you realize that it was a previous biguanide fenformin Mm -hmm. that was truly associated with lactic acidosis. And in fact, we now have no evidence whatsoever that metformin actually increases the risk of lactic acidosis in any of those groups of patients that were standardly considered to be contraindicated. And in fact, it doesn't even increase lactic acid levels. We also looked at that in our uh, previous meta-analysis. And the metformin does not increase lactic acid levels uh, compared to placebo. That is very powerful and interesting uh, evidence or data. So we have a medication that is very, very safe and that in theory might uh, work on some of the metabolic variables that lead to diabetes, and we have certainly a huge problem. So tell us about this meta-analysis that you did. Uh, how did you look at studies? What did you include? Okay, so our inclusion criteria uh, were any randomized controlled trial in patients without diabetes that was at least eight weeks long and compared metformin to placebo or no treatment and studied any of the metabolic parameters in the analysis that we looked at. And the populations were very variable, but they all had a risk factor for diabetes. So no patient had diabetes, and they all had at least one risk factor. Uh, The populations included patients with obesity, impaired glucose tolerance or uh, insulin resistance, a positive family history of diabetes, hypertension or peripheral vascular disease, dyslipidemia or abnormal uh, lipids, then some syndromes that are quite common. Uh, One of them was metabolic syndrome and the other is polycystic ovary syndrome. A metabolic syndrome is basically a constellation of cardiac risk factors together, including abdominal obesity, hypertension, dyslipidemia, and insulin resistance. And polycystic ovary syndrome is a very common condition affecting about 5% of uh, women, and that is associated with infertility and metabolic syndrome. So all of these populations were included in uh, different trials that were included in the analysis. So, Dr. Salpeter, we have patients with risk factors for diabetes uh, that are included, and and what uh, variables did you look at? Okay, so we looked at a, a constellation of variables. This included weight or body mass index. Lipids, we looked at HDL cholesterol, LDL cholesterol, and triglycerides. Then we looked at uh, fasting glucose and fasting insulin. And then from that, we could calculate uh, insulin resistance. And then finally, we looked at the incidence of new onset diabetes. So very important metabolic variables that we're all familiar with, as well as the new onset of diabetes. Were you successful in finding a number of trials that would fit this set of characteristics? Yes, we did a very uh, comprehensive search on Medline, and we evaluated approximately 2,000 studies, of which uh, 92 trials were uh, potentially relevant for our study. And of those, we found 31 randomized control trials that met our inclusion criteria. And what was the number of patients that this led to? Uh, There were approximately 4,500 patients in total, and we followed over 8,000 patient years of metformin use. 
And when I see a meta-analysis, I wonder how appropriate it is to group studies together when they may be somewhat different. Uh, Was there a lot of heterogeneity in these studies? Yes. So certainly in terms of the population studied, uh, there was a lot of heterogeneity. Once we looked at the results, we found out that there was not heterogeneity in between the studies, and we can talk about that shortly. But in terms of the studies themselves, these 31 studies were uh, very different. Some were very small. They ranged in size from uh, 20 participants to over 2,000 participants. Uh, they also ranged in the dose of metformin used. They went from uh, 500 milligrams a day up to 2,500 milligrams a day. And then, as I already mentioned, there were a lot of different populations studied. So we then did subgroup analysis looking at, for example, the difference in results uh, for patients with polycystic ovary syndrome or no polycystic ovary syndrome. For those patients who were obese or uh, not obese, and uh, for adults and children, because all of these were included together uh, in the meta-analysis. And were there differences in the outcomes and conclusions based on those differences? Uh, No, actually, the results were very, very consistent across lines. In terms of the weight, which was maybe one of the most important things that uh, metformin does, there is a 6% reduction in body mass index compared to baseline and a 5% reduction compared to placebo or no treatment. And that was very, very consistent across all lines. So there was about a 5% reduction in weight for adults, for children, for those with polycystic ovary syndrome, for those without polycystic ovary syndrome, and even for those who were not obese, for the uh, lean patients, there still is a about 5% reduction in weight or body mass index. Very nice. And then how about some of the other results? Uh, how about the lipid parameters you looked at? So that also was very nice in terms of its beneficial effect. There's a 5% increase in HDL cholesterol, which of course is the good cholesterol, a 5% reduction in the LDL cholesterol, which gives you then, in terms of the LDL-HDL ratio, which is one of the risk factors that we look at, there was about a 10% reduction in the LDL to HDL ratio. And in addition, there was a 5% reduction in triglycerides. And then what might be the the primary thing to look at, uh, the blood sugars and and new-onset diabetes, how did that come out? So even in these non-diabetic patients, so there was nobody who had diabetes, there still was a 5% reduction in fasting glucose, a 15% reduction in fasting insulin, and a 25% reduction in what we uh, use as a calculated insulin resistance. And along with that, we found that over the course of the trial, there was a 40% reduction in the incidence of new-onset diabetes. Mm. That is very impressive. I know the shortest trial you said was eight weeks. Uh, Is this uh, sustained? Uh, Are some of the trials a bit longer? Yes. So it goes all the way up to three years. Those were the longest of the trials was three years. The mean trial duration was 1.8 years, so close to two years on average. And you can then calculate how many patients you would need to treat in order to prevent one case of diabetes. And the number needed to treat here is 17, uh, which is really relatively impressive. Very impressive compared to some of the other screening tests and other interventions that we do in medicine. So based on this uh, impressive meta-analysis, can we conclude now that we should be thinking about putting our high-risk patients on metformin, or are we premature in making that assertion? I personally believe that the benefits of the use of metformin is, is huge. And it really is, if you think about it, the only medicine that we have at all 
that has been shown to reduce weight while reducing cardiovascular risk factors. So it reduces weight in all the right ways. It's not like other medicines that would be increasing cardiovascular risk. We've had some weight reduction medicines that have even been taken off the market. But here is a medicine who that reduces weight in all the right ways by also reducing lipids, abnormal lipid factors, insulin resistance. So it does it all in the right way. And because of that, and because it's maintained for such a long time, uh, this is really of great magnitude in terms of any patient who has risk factors uh, for diabetes. I want to thank Dr. Shelley Salpeter, who has been our guest as we've been discussing the use of metformin in high-risk patients uh, in terms of improving metabolic parameters, improving the likelihood that they will not develop outright type 2 diabetes, and hopefully one day uh, we'll have proof that shows that this also translates into fewer cardiovascular and other hard clinical endpoints that are currently ravaging our society. I'm Dr. Lee Friedman. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM157, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library and on-demand podcasts. Thank you for listening.